about this podcast. Your hosts, Ed Hammond and Diego Kaminker, talk with global leaders in healthcare informatics about the evolution, current status, and future of healthcare interoperability in their regions and worldwide. This podcast is sponsored by EMEA IASI and HL7 International and is produced by HL7 Argentina. Ed and Diego select five questions for their guests and then let them answer freely. The questions are randomly chosen live from a longer list, so they'll be surprised and their guests will be surprised too. About our sponsors. About the Academy. The International Academy of Health Sciences Informatics was established in 2017 under the auspices of EMEA, the International Medical Informatics Association. It promotes the dissemination of informatics-based knowledge and best practices, fosters new ideas, and encourages worldwide collaboration and sharing of expertise and resources. About HL7 International. Founded in 1987, Health Level 7 International is a not-for-profit, ANSI-accredited, standards-developing organization. HL7 is supported by more than 1,600 members from over 50 countries, including 500-plus corporate members. About HL7 Argentina. HL7 Argentina was founded in 1999, making it one of the oldest HL7 affiliates. HL7 Argentina created the HL7 Fire Fundamentals course, which has educated about 7,000 students in HL7 standards worldwide since 2008. A little about your hosts. Diego Kaminker has defined, implemented, and maintained hundreds of healthcare interoperability projects using the major HL7 standards. He's an Academy Fellow and is currently an Affiliate Director on the HL7 International Board. Ed Hammond is Chair Emeritus and Founder of HL7 International, Chair of the Standards Panel of EMEA IASI, and Creator of the original HL7 Messaging Standard. For more details, be sure to check out the podcast notes. Hello and welcome. Uh, this is a new episode of our podcast. Uh, Ed is with us, but he's muted. So he, if he has any questions, he will write the question down. But believe me, he is here. And we are with uh, Peter Jordan. Peter is the HS7 Affiliate Chair for New Zealand and also the co-chair of the HS7 International Council. He's a highly experienced software architect and developer with a particular interest in healthcare information modeling, terminology and exchange, and that's why he is with us. He contracts as a solution architect to various national and regional interoperability projects and provides the term INS or Terminology New Zealand HL7 Fire Terminology Directory and Conformance Server for Community Use. Very interesting. So hello, Peter, and welcome. Good day, Diego. Good day, Ed. So, uh, you know, uh, Ed is doing strange things with face and hands, but we are we know that he is here. For our listeners, Ed is here. Uh, so we, we begin with the first question that we do to every, uh, every participant in our podcast. And this question is, how did you become involved in healthcare interoperability standards and what was your drive? Well, um, I, I emigrated to New Zealand from the UK in, in late 1992 and I got a job as a, as a software developer with a company that, was, that made practice management systems for GPs, um, allied health professionals and specialists. 
and I was given a number of projects and the third one involved um, transferring laboratory results to GP systems and we um, we were asked to use a standard called HL7. Oh, that and was your request directly? Yes, we were asked to use a standard called HL7 by the, by the laboratory we were partnering with and then by the message service provider we were using. So consequently, consequently we joined HL7 International in order to, to obtain the standards. And what, what time was that? This was, this was like mid-1993. And consequently, the project was successful and, and all the, the, the other vendors in that market took up the, the, the standard and, and we progressed with it and we, then we used it for referral status and discharge messaging. But at that stage, that was a, the limit of my involvement in that I was just really a, an implementer of standards. Um, and the, when an affiliate developed here, it was within within the Ministry of Health. And subsequently, I, I was more of a technologist in those days. But I re my real interest in, in interoperability standards came when I when I returned to my original New Zealand employer about twelve or thirteen years ago, and I was asked to look at the work I'd done for them previously. They had a new product, and I sort of became really interested in looking at it and think this was this was a bit of a career highlight and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of really interested in this and also I, I'd moved at that stage and I'd noticed that my general practice record hadn't come with me electronically so my doctor was sitting there with with just a bunch of paper from the previous practice so I started asking questions is why, why haven't we why aren't we doing this why aren't we transferring this information electronically and consequently I was told there was a project called GP to GP that 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 was at the business case stage, and they were going to. The no, this was in this was in in New Zealand. Uh, I've lived in New Zealand since 1993, and I was invited to a large meeting, and I met a gentleman called David Hay, who was the affiliate chair, and he thought I'd be. A, uh, we decided that we'd work together on on producing. Uh, a tool that would generate CDA documents as the payload for these GP to GP transfers. And at that stage, I came, became really interested in it. I just started reading about the background, what had happened to HL7 between version 2 messaging and CDA, the RIM, reading lots of blogs, and including Graham Greaves. And at that stage, you now CDA was the, the big interoperability standard here, but he was... I think it was a time when HL7 International was setting up the Fresh Look Task Force and Graham was looking at uh, a more modern standard and everything just sort of came together for me that the work I was doing, I really became interested in that aspect of the work, the information exchange and the standards. It was a great time to be there with, with, the, with the birth of fire um, and then a certain gentleman called Ed Hammond came to speak in, in New Zealand. And I'd never really, apart from David, I'd never seen the face of the international organisation before. And I kind of assumed it would be sort of very austere US doctors and medical specialists. Uh, and, and Ed came and he started talking about di digital disruption and all sorts of interesting things. 
And I just got the you know the feeling that this ah uh, this is a very inclusive and friendly organisation that I I might be able to contribute to. So I started going to overseas meetings in Australia, and then obviously Fire was was here. Um, I, I read I used to read Graham's blogs um, and I say other blogs, and I, I just fitted into the work. We we used we were still using CDA. We used it for the National Prescription Service that I'm still involved in. Um, so I, I got the stage where I was looking at after some old V2 stuff. I was working in CDA and then, then looking for opportunities to use fire. And that came about, um, when I decided to, um, marry an interest I had in terminology going back to a terminology browser I'd written in the nineties. And I decided that fire terminology services was kind of my home within HL7 International um, started coming to the overseas meetings, met the international community, and the thing kind of snowballed for me. I just found it, eight or seven international was a, was a home, uh, as well as supporting my day job, which was which is you know creating, helping to create a, a joined up digital healthcare system in New Zealand. Uh, it's a very nice story, and it's uh, parallel to uh, and similar to to most of our. Uh, stories in H7. Uh, I think that we all begin with uh, lab results. <laughs> and we then, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> then we all move to, to clinical documents and other workflow. And not to forget the billing and other accounting stuff, but usually we begin with, with lab results and lab orders. Um, Okay, I, I think the the, the story is, is relevant. Is something we we share um, a lot of people, except for the terminology part, <laughs> which is more difficult. And I appreciate your work in, in that area. Uh, let's see our next question. We have to use our wheel of fortune to see what is the next question. And uh, it's. Question number three. And question number three is. Uh, question number three is Did you evolve in your use of the standards, or as we say, we are stuck in the 90s? A little bit of both, because in New Zealand we still have HL7 version 2 implementations. Um, and I, I still do some work in HL7 version 2. And sometimes it's hard to make a case for upgrading those standards as a priority. For example, lab messaging is still version 2. It's the last priority. Yeah. And we even use version 2 messaging to transport CDA documents as well. Um, with CDA, we're more like we're still big users of CDA and our national prescription service used by every community, GP and pharmacy, and increasingly more among in secondary care and specialists, the payloads of CDA documents. <clears throat> and it's very hard for us to see that the transactional system, the payload will change because there's a lot of endpoint systems that will have to change, including obviously pharmacies who've got limited IT infrastructure. But having said that, we are moving the clinical data repository that's created out of that to FHIR. And everything new we are doing is in FHIR. 
it's it's the endorsed standard by our our health information standards organization which is the the, the national body um, we have a, <clears throat> a a new program health information platform program called hira h i r a which is a nice uh, Maori word for creating something meaningful and meaningful and progressive, um, and that's based on fire APIs, linking the system up, creating a digital information ecosystem via fire uh, APIs. So, we question from Ed: One is that your sender and receiver usually know in the use of B two they they are uh, they, they use it by inertia or they know that they they are. Uh, Poking the interface, they know what they are doing, etc. Or it's just uh, something that works and it's there. I, th I think the latter, Ed, because to some extent our our, our standards are, are masked. The details are masked from end users by tooling. For example, our health, uh, our message service provider here, which is up until fairly recently has sort of had a monopoly. They have tooling, a client tooling. To, to simplify things um, for the end users. And for CDA, um, David Hay and I developed a toolkit. So really the, the end users are presented with an application layer object model and the, the toolkit does all the magic behind it, re renders it into a CDA document and at the other end it parses the CDA document. The CDA is quite a difficult standard for, for people to learn. You've got to get quite deeply into it. Um, I, 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 I rather liked it. I'm a bit of an XML head or was in my development outside of healthcare. So, you know, CDI, I kind of took to like a duck to water, but not everyone does. Um, and with FHIR, I think people with FHIR are much more aware at the endpoints than the older standards. They're more aware, even if you give them the libraries that, that give them the, the resource model at their application layer, they're very... They're, they're working with the resources. They understand the elements. and, and I, think, I think it's near the, the front-end developer. It's something that they understand. Yeah. They, they, yeah. Can, they can yeah. go through it. Another question from Ed. Are you moving directly from V2 to Fire content-wise? Uh, I haven't seen any direct V2 to Fire. We're asked questions. CDA to Fire, we're definitely doing. We've moved, for example, GP to GP. I did a pilot project to create international patient summary uh, bundles from uh, and compositions from the GP to GP CDA and I'm converting the New Zealand prescription service CDA documents to fire but I haven't seen yet a, a V2 to fire conversion here that's not to say I see everything we're, we're quite a small country but it, it's possible that one of the larger vendors may be looking at it but I'm not sure because most of our conversions are done at the data modeling level, not at the payload level, if you see what I mean. Yeah, uh, uh, you say that New Zealand is a small country. How many people, how many persons live in New Zealand? Um, just over 5 million at the moment. So, linked to this question is question number four, which is, which is your vision for healthcare interoperability in your country because you are a chair of one of the affiliates so i want i want to ask you about the hospital or a region or maybe if you want to also comment something about global interoperability or regional interoperability with, with the, australia we can also talk about this but 
mainly what is your vision for your country well my my vision is is really encompassed by the hero project to, to have a a digital health information ecosystem based on on fire apis um connecting systems I would actually like to see us in some ways reduce the amount of health information exchange by by aggregating data from from systems of source and we are oh, for example in in general practice transfers I see lab results being transferred where it would be far better for the a new a system a practice treating a new patient just to get those directly from from a lab repository um, so I had some discussions about this, and, mm. and I, I wholly, I'm, I'm wholly in agreement with you. What you are saying, the only problem is that the 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 stakeholders that want to see the results, they also want to have the results for big data or or something else for data analysis. Mm. So they also want a copy. It's not just I want to see the result when the patient is here, but I also want the result for my own repository to do X, Y, Z. So I'm, I'm having this trouble hmm. uh, with, with only, with the information where the information uh, was created, it's, it's great. And it's nice to have it uh, on demand, but they also want data for something else and we need to transfer data yeah i can understand um, that because that that's a sort of a down a one-time potentially a one-time download I, i'm thinking more of the sort of dynamic exchanges we we get because we do tend to find that the data loses some fidelity when it's constantly messed passed backwards and forwards because it within within the, the systems they, they it tends to be mapped to their own internal data models and then back again I think with, with fire, we have the opportunity where a lot of people are using the fire resources as their internal data model, and so you're not going to have, have such a problem. But obviously, there's 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 latency and performance issue, loading issues around what we're doing. I, mean, I wouldn't say we've completely found the answers yet, um, but the challenge is really the biggest. The bigger challenges aren't fire. Fire is a fantastic enabler, but it, it's it, it's things such as di digital identity. Identity access management, you know, authorization. These are the some of the big challenges that we have in in this joined up system. And I see that, that Ed's asked a good question about patient centric because that's a another big use case for us. Is that we we have a reasonable uptake of patient portals, uh, patient apps in primary care, but they're really just tools for making appointments, requesting prescription repeats. But there is a lot of, of transfer between sites or mm. how much, this is the, the, the first question from Ed, how yeah. much mobility, are your patients going from one place to the other, getting healthcare in different places yeah. which need? Very much uh, so, very much so. One reason is is, is access. We're, we're very short of GPs. So people will, will go to the, the, we have what we call accident and emergency clinics and patients can actually enroll there. So they, if, if they can't get a, an appointment with their, 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 their general practice, they'll go to an, an 
accident and emergency clinic, they'll enrol there because as an enrolled patient, they get subsidised healthcare and their record gets transferred. And then they, they, they maybe go several times during an episode of care to the, the accident and emergency clinic and they, they find that they see a different clinician every time because they're mainly populated by locums, staffed by locums. So they'll say, well, they want to go back to a, to a, having a, their own GP. So the, the record will transfer back. It happens up the road from where I live. So we see a lot of transfers, even with, without people moving home from one healthcare provider to another, and their record can go backwards and forwards. Um, Are you exploring any transfer from NC to Australia? Any cross-border uh, or cross-sea uh, uh, interoperability? We are. We, 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 H7 New Zealand and H7 Australia have a pretty strong working relationship. The international patient summary is probably going to be the first real cross-border exchange other than people taking a, a CDA copy of their record on a memory stick or whatever over there and someone being able to at least see the human readable portion of the CDA. But yes, we are talking, we, we, we do work collaboratively. Um, I mean, help in, and advice from Australia is, is only a, a few keystrokes away. We're on the same time zone and, and, you know, obviously we can ask Graham and Brian and Brett, all the, pe the, the people in HL7 Australia questions and and look at their uh, their, their implementation guides and, and, and learn from each other but true exchange I think IPS will be the hopefully the first time someone can actually who's moving from New Zealand to Australia can take their record with them and have it in, imported into a into an Australian system Do you hear like some terminology or, or terminology is very different between the two countries terminology clinical terminology is not that different. It, the, the, the difference is more in administration and the healthcare system. So it, from a fire viewpoint, we, we've got a lot of different extensions on, on, on resources like patient and provider and uh, practitioner, facility, lo, uh, location, organisation, because the, 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 the countries have got different political and, and healthcare systems. But clinical medicine, I wouldn't see... Much medicine. Medicines is always the trickiest thing because every country has its own medicines terminology. So for an IPS transfer, it will not be very difficult. It wouldn't be very difficult because um, our medicines terminology is pretty much the same as as theirs. Um, it's called something different, but the design is the same because one one came from the other. I have another question from Ed: Is how has COVID impacted the New Zealand healthcare system? Well. Like everywhere else, it's obviously accelerated the move towards digital health. So remote consultations, systems being stood up very quickly um, to, for, for registering, for, 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 for locating where vaccinations were available. Um, we have a very good um, healthcare provider um, directory service here called HealthPoint, and they've got a fire API and they, they, they became the go-to place for finding out which, which, uh, where, where vaccinations were available uh, and other details uh, around, around COVID. Um, but, yeah, the, 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 the ministry kind of 
got a long way towards cert, to, towards providing a national you know patient access. We we have a health provider index, so everyone's a health and, and a patient pro, uh, index. So we we have unique identifiers for everyone. But uh, a Minister of Health stood up a site where people. Um, <clears throat> Could record their vaccinations, get certificates, um, make bookings for vaccinations. <clears throat> a lot of infrastructure stood up pretty quickly. On the National Prescription Service, we only had pre-COVID, we only had thirty percent of GPs were using it. Now, now it's like ninety-five percent because it not. Changed a lot. It changed. Was, uh, a boom in the <clears throat> Everyone is. Some kind of so we've had to make you know changes to allow allow signature exempt prescriptions, paperless prescriptions. We've made regulatory changes to 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 facilitate you know electronic prescribing in full, whereas the service was was previously was taken up by all the pharmacies, but not the G, so much the GPs um, who didn't see so much benefit in it. Now everyone sees benefit in it, uh, and. I think it's it's heightened awareness of the need to have the latest information available at point of care as quickly as possible, and, and how repetition throughout the the, the system, uh, how onerous it is for people to enter their details every time they they have a healthcare encounter. We, so yeah, it's 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 it has impacted the system to some to some degree in what some ways we were we were at the bottom of the world waiting for the the tsunami to hit us um so we, we escaped the first two waves of covid but we've, we've been hit quite hard by omicron now but we were prepared and the digital systems definitely helped us in the preparation and, and what about the public health response in the in terms of uh that they know what is happening. There is an electronic transfer of uh, test results. Yes, yeah. You can record. You record. Um, if you've got a positive COVID test, you you record that on the national system, and then you'll get a call um, from a healthcare provider. I got a call from a nurse when I had COVID, just to think, say everything all right. Are you managing to get food and your family? And the system I, I, here has worked really well. Um, and it's a combination of standards and, and, and things that were stood up very quickly by um, due to necessity. So uh, our next question will be uh, question 15. Uh, the, the question is, uh, there's a continuous tension between globally uh, applicable uh, healthcare information standards and local variations and needs. Uh, which is your vision and experience about this? Any specific clinical or other areas where you see a fast way to adoption, like immunization? Uh, I will let you speak and then discuss this. There's always a tension between people wanting to do things at a local level. Um, we have a thing called uh, number, number eight fence wire here in New Zealand. Kiwis love to do things themselves, do it yourself, fix everything with number eight fence wire. Um, so it's been taken a lot of evangelism by the likes of David Hay to convince, first of all, the adoption of international standards. 
Uh, and it's not maybe not so much the standards, but to stop too much localization and variation. I mean, you you look at version two and you see the Z segments, and then now we're moving to fire. We're looking at extensions. Fortunately, we are really. I think we're we're changing the dial a little bit that people will come to the affiliate and ask for an extension and ask if it's already available. They're kind of understanding now that creating their own, you know, is a, is a one-way ticket. Uh, and that's... Is it very difficult to explain? I, in many projects in my country and other countries, this is a, a thing that we need to be very bold, insisting that you don't want to create something that was created before and you need to use no, no, it. Was, it, it was just one of the highlights of the last two or three years was that the, our largest um, GP system supplier and a change of ownership and the, and the new owner phoned me and I, I knew him previously um, and he said, Peter, we want that we've got this whole third-party ecosystem around our product and I, I wanted to create one interface for all all third parties who interact with our system and I want fire and can you give us any advice or help that you, you've got time to do and the first thing they wanted to do is create health summaries so I, I persuaded them to look at the international patient summary I said, why go through all the... It's going to be a long, complicated process for you to create an implementation guide for a patient summary by yourselves. Look at this and, and adapt it for New Zealand. You might want to add one or two things for, for primary care. You might want to change the terminology, but do that. And they did it, and it's been successful. And to me, someone coming to us asking for that kind of advice, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We like standards. We know that that's going to make that's going to take away a lot of the heavy lifting from our development. In my mind, in my mind you saved them years. Yeah, and they they, they they appreciate that and they you know they call us out and thank us and and they can concentrate on, on, on the features, the differentiators in their product, not on the heavy lifting side of it. And that's become a... And that message is spreading that we don't necessarily have to do everything ourselves, but some things we do. We do, and there's still a little bit of the, the not invented hit here syndrome here, and it's like trying to persuade developers. We we'll use the fire libraries; that will take you. You'll, you'll get more conformant and consistent implementations if you use pre-existing software components rather than you know you, you do all the rendering and the parsing of resources yourself because you someone else has done that. You know, if they if the, the, the .NET library is good enough for Microsoft to use, it's probably good enough for you to use. Uh, and so we're, we're trying to get to um, uh, change that mentality a little bit about not inventing here. And I, 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 I hope that it's working. Um, but we, we have a, a weekly meeting with a fire implementation um, working group and we have suppliers, government people, all sorts of people come to that. Um, to contribute to the implementation guide, to ask questions, and and people, we're building a community, and that's the I think about standards implementation. It isn't just about developing a great standard and and, and say you know build it and they will come. You've actually got to build that community. But I I, I realise that, that 
you guys are perfectly aware of that. Mm -hmm. Okay, we'll we'll we have two more, two more questions. One is from Ed. Uh, if we were talking to a typical GP, uh, what would they say about the importance of standards and specifically fire to their practicing medicine? Well, to me, it, it's a basis of some GPs and clinicians, they, they find their electronic health record systems burdensome. They've, they've been turned into data entry clerks. Hear that comment. And I say, no, it, it's really about good digital record keeping. And you think that data, data is for life, not just for, the, for maybe the, the treatment that's occurring at the moment for the current encounter. It's for life. It can be used. It will follow the patient around. It will be used for clinical decision support, for analytics, for service utilization and design. So that's important. And for that to happen, it's got to be entered and stored as a in a standard format. And this will help you because this, this joined up ecosystem will help you. It will stop you prescribing medications that the, the patient may have an adverse reaction to or may not be responsive to at all. But providing the software is well written and and looks good, good. Some will say, "How are you doing this?" and what's underneath the bonnet, and some some won't. Some won't be interested. They're not inter they're not interested in, in informatics. That's fine. But if they they're, they're interested in the bent, they can see the benefits of it. Uh, for example, yesterday I had a, a flu jab, and I, the practice nurse gave me a flu jab, and I and I. I and she told me how much she liked her system and you know, she's big screen and showed me her system and everything was there and how well organized and arranged it was. And it's using standards, you know, terminology standards. You can see the, the drop downs and, and things. There's, there's, there's just not the, it's not full of free text. Like, so they can see that there's how standards benefit them. Nice curated drop downs. It makes their life easier. But also when they, they, they also know there's enough patient movement here, that if they get a record from another clinic, it's going to look just the same as if they'd entered the data themselves. Yeah. And that's, that's a big thing for them that, you know, the, the older days they would just get a massive paper from another clinic. Now they can get the whole record in front of them of the patient they're about to treat for the first time. The next question so, uh, before before our last yeah. question, I have a question from another question from Ed. At the meeting he's attending, one speaker was talking about rural American, and that statistically they are significantly penalized healthcare wise. Is that a problem in New Zealand? Maybe not with rural New Zealand, but with some communities or some specific part of the society. Yes, there are issues with. You know, New, New Zealand's a, a small, but we've got a large rural community. I mean, farming's the either the first or the second biggest industry in, in New Zealand, and there, there, there's digital access issues in remote communities. I mean, it, it, rural broadband isn't broadband is generally very good here in urban centres, not so good in in rural areas. And we found with, with the, the vaccine rollout that obviously the, the, the 
the take up in the in the remote rural areas was was slower than it was in the urban areas and 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 we're desperately trying to achieve equity in the delivery of healthcare services in, in every way in New Zealand and and it just happens that a lot of our indigenous population the Maori population live in remote areas and they are disadvantaged they have poorer healthcare outcomes than others so it's an off, it's an across the board concern i mean with the vaccinations we the vaccinators went out to the rural areas. They held sessions on Saturdays and, and weekends and vans went there and did whatever they could. Um, but it is, it, it's going to be a problem in any, in any country. And, and, and yeah, we do have people who are disadvantaged and, and cut off from the system, but we're, we're undertaking a massive reform of the health care system here. And we are looking at creating hubs called localities in in these remote areas where we're attempting an attempt to join up combined services and tailor services to the needs of the individual population. And standards is going to be very important for that because there's going to be a lot of shared and connected care type systems or a shared and connected care type system to do this. And it's a different perspective from the more interventionist nature of a lot of healthcare software whether it's in primary or secondary care it's going to be more about preventative and constant monitoring we're looking at people who have got a much higher rates of diabetes by diabetes gout and lots of other sort of conditions um but yeah it, it it's a great question about remoteness because we've we have to remember in this digital world um and there's also people who can't use digital technology because they're impaired or they're they're they're, they're too old? Uh, you know, you know. My own mother can't use any digital devices. You know, um, she's too old and handicapped in various ways. So, yeah, it, it's an important thing. Technology alone can't so- solve healthcare equity, but I think it can help. You know, lower the the dif- you know, decrease the dif- the, the differences. Perfect. So our last question will be about terminology because that's your main. Uh, it's our current pool of terminology standards enough for our exchange needs. Which gaps and barriers in adoption do you see and how can we help? Some will say there'll never be enough terminology and we, uh, we, we create it and create it and create it. I personally think... Uh, uh, I'm a great proponent of SNOMED CT. I, I, I work on a couple of their uh, advisory groups, the SNOMED on Fire, um, Terminology Services, um, and the Languages Group. I'm very interested in SNOMED, and that's a national standard here. Um, I think SNOMED, if it's well implemented, should almost be enough. But I think that there are a lot of implementation challenges with SNOMED. Um, we use LOINC for, 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 for pathology testing. That's not used in every country. The, the issue with SNOMED is I don't think it's about its usability per se. It's more about potentially the The, the licensing and that's gradually being overcome because they're they've now um, introduced a, a a global patient set and a specific set for the international patient summary 
Um, and that's they, they're, they're adding more and more functionality to that. So it's a, now it's a true subset of, of SNOMED, the latest beta release, because that's necessary for international exchange that um, it's a common terminology. Obviously, there's every country is going to have its own local terminologies. I mean, we've got specific terminologies around ethnicity in New Zealand and, and, and Maori, Iwis, which are you know, tribes and Harpus. Um, family, extended you, family you groups. You have to, to give a, a very brutal uh, percentage of how much of your terminology should be solved by snowman. If you have to write that between zero and 100%, would, you, would be your number? 75% off the top <laughs> of my head. And, and like... You have a number. <laughs> Because we ICD ten is used here in secondary care, but but the national standard is is to move to SNOMED for for point of care recording, and primary care we've used a, a terminology called read, which we we got from the UK in the nineties, and I, I I was involved in early implementations of that. That's that we need to to move away from, and and we're we're sort of. 50% of the way there in primary care of moving away from Reed to SNOMED. We have our own, we have our own medicines terminology, um, which is SNOMED compatible. We haven't integrated it in, as a national extension of SNOMED. We could, and may, maybe we will one day, because that's what they've done in, in Australia and the UK. So I'm assuming in the 75%, I'm including the medicines terminology. But I think that... Uh, I was going to end, but Ed has another question, and you know who is the boss here. So uh, Ed is asking, how important are GP nodes for research and patient care? It's a language different than SNOMED. Any thoughts? Well, I guess there's there's... If we're talking about free text, you, you know... You know, are you talking about free a free text or yeah, you look at free text. Well, yeah. there, there's there's natural language processing. It's not always successful. I, I used to enjoy the the Penrad demonstrations at the H L Seven International meetings where they you know they gave dictated notes and you saw the concepts flash up on screens in SNOMED. Obviously, there's there's barriers there, particularly around negation. Um, context situations of explicit context sometimes not all clinicians speak uh, uh, right in a in grammatically correct fashion so you you know sometimes you don't know who the subject and the object of a of a sentence is um, so there are there are barriers there's always going to be free text I mean I, I think that 75% is, is of, a, of, of where you can have actual coded terminology but there'll always be instances where there there has to be free text snowman is is attempting to become more and more of a other language with with post-coordinated concepts but ultimately since we are here and i can do another question is how how many implementations of post-coordination snowman have you seen working Have I seen working? Um, I've seen good examples from the Netherlands and 
is it Nebraska in the US? Um, there's a there's a group there in one of the the, the sort of more remote or thinly populated states in the, in the mid north of, of America. I, I, the answer there is an answer to post coordination, and that's probably around tooling because it's become very complicated because of the need to have a classifier to do post coordination. Um, because now you can't you can't just do it out of the box with SNOMED. You really need to, to test that the expressions are valid. I see it like extremely powerful, so powerful that I cannot do it. <laughs> well, there's simple cases, and ICD-11 have made it quite simple, but it, to do it via the user interface. So things like lateralizable concepts, body oh, parts, okay. Yeah, those are the easy, easy ones. But the real answer to post coordination is is if you submit the the, the concept to your national release centre, it'll only take two countries, and it will get into the, the the international edition as a pre coordinated concept. That's a nice way to to, to look at it. But there there are others there are others in HL seven, and it's no matter. Will probably hang me. Um, for for suggesting that, but I I think it is very difficult to do post coordination well in SNOMED. There's stuff under the box that's really difficult. Role grouping is extremely complicated. Even to do something that seems apparently easy, like lateralizing a body part. Okay, Peter, thank you very much for being with us. Uh, it was very fun and, and uh, a lot of important concepts discussed and. See you around in in our world, if we can. Right. Well, thanks very much for the opportunity. I'm sorry I couldn't hear Ed. I always enjoy listening to Ed. But he he's he is here. We we make put a photo of Ed in the in the face of our podcast this time. Okay. Thanks very much. Thank it's a lovely start to Bye. my day. Bye. 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 Go guys. Bye.